Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, good Monday morning to you. Welcome to the Redemption's Table podcast. I've known today's podcast guests, my good friend Bob Moon, for four decades. We attended Sanford University together at the same time. We both served as ministers of youth in different churches, different states. We've followed Jesus together in a lot of different places, youth camps, disciple nows, other student events. And we both have spent over 40 years obeying a single command of Jesus, go and make disciples. I was able to catch up with Bob a few weeks ago over some incredible shrimp and grits at John's City Diner in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. That's located at 112 Richard Arrington Jr. Boulevard North. Great place to eat. I encourage you to check it out. The conversation was just as nourishing as the food. Bob and I talked about what a lifetime of making disciples looks like. I enjoyed this lunch immensely. This is what friends sound like when they get together to eat. But even more so, the topic of this conversation is really what it is all about. If you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is Proverbs 27, 17 right here. As iron sharpens iron, so one individual sharpens another. Bob Moon has always been one of my iron sharpeners. Whenever you get together with an iron sharpener, you never know where the sparks are going to fly. But it's always a good conversation, always a worthwhile conversation. So let's get started. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. Welcome to Redemption's Table. Sitting here in Birmingham, Alabama, John's City Diner. I've just had lunch with my good friend, Bob Moon. Bob, welcome to the table. Hey man, I'm excited. It's been a lot of years, a lot of mileage, and we get to look at each other again. And I might say, you look more handsome today than you looked 20 years ago. <laughs> okay. I don't know what the, I don't, I think the conversation's over. And, and you blush as well as you used to. As well. Yeah, you should be, you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt, which everybody will, will see if they tune into the podcast. But we've been lifelong friends since, since college days served a lot together different churches different places you're currently at first baptist church portland tennessee that's correct and uh that's about halfway between nashville tennessee and bowling green kentucky on the state line going back 40 years i want to talk a little bit about uh where we've been the journey we've been uh, and uh did you ever dream 
early days of ministry, did you ever dream of changing the world? We're both, I'm 59. 61. 61. I knew you, you were a little ahead of me. Did you ever dream of changing the world? I dreamed that God had something really, really big for me to do. Big. And I didn't necessarily mean, uh, in my way of thinking, didn't necessarily mean a big church. Mm -hmm. But it meant something large and impactful. Uh, something that would affect a large amount of change. And I did not know what that meant. Uh, I did not, again. I did not think it necessarily meant a large church, mm -hmm. but I did think it meant something significant. Um, Have you stepped into big yet? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I can look back on my life and I can understand what I think that looked like, uh, but it has fleshed itself out in ways that I would not have said. I would not have defined it that way. It it has fleshed its way out. From my interpretation, um, I have invested in the lives of teenagers throughout the years, okay. and many of those teenagers have grown up to be incredibly uh, influential people in their lives, and they look, they will tell you that I had a, if not the key role in their life growing up uh, of influence. So I can look at them and realize that the largeness was done one person at a time. It wasn't done leading a Billy Graham crusade gotcha. or, or pastoring a church of a thousand. It was done by investing in the lives of one and two and three and four and five and six uh, boys and girls, young, college age and you know, high school to college age, uh, encouraging them, challenging them, crying with them, praying with them, getting mad at them, loving them, you know, being it something between a dad and a big brother to them, and now they are, uh, yeah, there's a good stream of kids that are, they've gone globally with, with their lives, the gospel in particular, and so the influence is exponentially, it's kind of like uh, compound interest, gotcha. and, uh, that, that's it, I can look back and uh, I, I can tell you one story, if you want to hear it, go for it, okay. Uh, in, uh, um, get my towns right now, in Leeds, Alabama, that was back in the late 70s. That's where you started That's out. That's where I, as a full-time, okay. I was full-time in Leeds. I would say somewhere around 1980, there was a teenager there, and his name was Todd. He was about a 10th grader, 9th, 10th grader. And Todd and I became uh, a mentor type thing. Before I knew that what that word meant, I just knew that we clicked and so we poured our lives into one another. And, and so I challenged Todd and encouraged him and his faith and his growth. Todd went to Auburn University and to cut the, short, the story short, he was a football player for Auburn. Okay. And uh, during the course of his career at Auburn, he um, was challenged by the coach they had a radical, wild guy on their team that was a wonderful football player, but he was violent. He would tear the locker room up. He would tear you up. He was just, he had anger issues. And as a football player, the coach pulled three or four of these guys to the side. One, my guy, Todd, was one of them. said, well, you're going to have to rein this guy in. He can't stay on the team and be this destructive. He's great on the football field, but he's killing us in the locker room. Mm -hmm. Y'all got to do something, or else I'm going to take him off the team. 
and they were all Christians. So they prayed with prayed and begged God, and anyway, the, this guy named Chet got saved, and I'm talking about saved. And so now you can look him up on the internet because when he graduated Auburn, the coach kept him, and he has gone through all the different coaches since those years, and he is the chaplain for the Auburn football team. So I can see the, the spiritual lineage from this guy named Todd in the youth group in Leeds, Alabama, who uh, went to college and used his spiritual influence to influence another guy named Chet, and Chet influences thousands of young men wow. and athletes. And you know how athletes are, they influence thousands of people. So that's just one of the many little mushrooms that I can see. And I met Chet, he uh, uh, did a, a testimony in Montgomery, Alabama. Now, I didn't know that story okay. until he shared his story with the with kids in a meeting, a big, big group in Montgomery, and he was talking about his experience. And I could not believe what I was hearing. How about that? And so after it was over, I ran over to him and I said, you don't know me, I don't know you, but one of, was one of the four guys that cornered you was one of them named Todd. And he goes, yeah. Now when I was his youth pastor, he's going, oh, and he hugged me and said, you know, this is the way it works. You know, God yeah. uses people. And so Chet and I have been friends for uh, after that because, uh, you know, I was kind of like a granddaddy. Yeah. Uh, spiritual, you know, granddaddy. But I, but there have been a number of people through the years, and that's how I think I, uh, the Lord has used me in a very small way yeah. to affect one, two, three, four, five lives. Yeah. Globally. Yeah. The word that I think of when I think of you, first friend, because we've been friends, dear friends, but the second is disciples, or discipler. Uh, make disciples. That's as I was reflecting, preparing for today's podcast. Um, so that's really cool. You know, Jesus said, he told the disciples, you will uh, do even greater things than me. And that's my understanding of that verse. He didn't mean you greater as far as the actual things he did, because nobody can improve on that, but exponentially. Right. It's just amazing how right. that process, one life investing in another life, and et cetera, et cetera, it grows. And, and really today cool. at 61, I understand the principles and the structure and the importance of discipleship. Mm -hmm. But at 21, as a youth pastor, 22, I'd never met a youth pastor. I was the first youth pastor I'd ever known. I didn't okay. know what that was. <laughs> okay. And I was hired to be one. And I didn't know really what it was. Uh, but... I didn't understand what I was doing was the right thing to do. Uh, but today we understand the scripture clearly shows that Jesus' plan was to take 12. Right. You know, which turned out to be 11, then bumped in Paul to make 12. So there, there were 12 men that were designed to impact the world. Same, same principle. Same principle. So. You were with you were youth minister for years. Yes, music and youth, and um, I loved it. Uh, I still am uh, very influential in the lives of teenagers at 61. Uh, it's not uncommon to, if our offices are open and people in the building, it's not uncommon to, for me to have two, three, four teenagers just sit in the office hanging out. They they know if I've got work to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it, and they can just sit there yeah. and talk or whatever. But uh, that's that's still, I still, if I were 
25, 35 years old again, uh, I would I would be going back to, I, I believe, back to youth ministry. It, yeah. it, it's just so rewarding, as you know, having yeah. been a youth minister for so long. It's so rewarding to see a teenager's lights come on. Yeah. You know, they go from being in the youth group, or whatever you want to call it, into really being a devoted follower of Christ. And they're not grown up, yeah. but they are growing in Christ. They have a hunger for the Word. They have a hunger to do uh, that that the Lord wants them to do. They want to be obedient. They want to be you know, loving and kind. And, and uh, uh, they, want, they want to be godly yeah. uh, in a way that a 16-year-old or 18-year-old or 20-year-old can be. So, yeah, I wanted to retire a youth minister. That was not God's plan for me. I did me, too, but, uh, man. Well, that was, I, I that was my too. heart's desire, and I still have good rapport with t- with uh, teens today. I, well. I was a youth pastor in, in my forties, yeah, and um, at a church in Montgomery, and the pastor there believed in operating in your spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. And one day, I walked into his office and I said, "You realize we have a we have a very very healthy youth ministry, but I spend about." 40% of my working time in youth ministry. You've assigned me all these extracurricular jobs mm-hmm. that you think my giftedness will handle, which was administration. Mm-hmm. And I was simply there to be the youth pastor, student pastor. And I said, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I mean, it's working. Mm-hmm. I'm not denying any, I'm not uh, slacking off on any of that, but you've got me doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, what, what does this look like for you? How can I best? I've, I've kind of had that attitude in my life. At working for a church, I want I want to be the pastor's number two guy. Yeah. How can I help you succeed? What do I need to do? What role do I need to fulfill to make you successful? Do I need to do music? Okay. Do I need to not music? Okay. Do I need to whatever? Well, at that church at that time in Montgomery, Alabama, he said, I think you need to shift out of student ministry. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. It's going well. We can hand it off, and you can plug into some unique spots that we have at our church that, are, that need administrative type help. So that's what I. That was the last time I officially had the title, and that would have been around 2000. And, ooh, I'd have to guess okay. to somewhere around 2002. That was, that was a navigational moment for you. You were presented with a challenge. It was not yep. where you thought you were going to stay. And uh, you and I both have served Christ through churches through the years, and we have faced those navigational uh, challenges. How have you navigated through those cha- challenges? Uh, what are you learning? What have you learned from them? Oh, if, wow, you know? Robert. Um, I, I think at this juncture, I've served seven churches, I believe that's right. That's a perfect number. The f- <laughs> Hallelujah. It's over. I'm done. Uh, the, you know, the first one was, uh, I was the choir director in a little bitty church in Waverly Hall, Georgia, um, 16 years old, $35 a week, and that was back when minimum wage was a dollar. Yeah. So to get paid to be the choir director for $35 a week, I was making incredible money. Wow. Uh, just unbelievable. So, um, and I... Matter of fact, I even asked the guy when they started paying, handing me these thirty-five dollar checks every week. I said, oh, Mr. Charlie, uh, I think you paid me too much because <laughs> I thought it was a month and it was a week. Yeah. I mean, there's a pay raise. So, no, no, we always pay thirty-five dollars a month. Is that enough, son? We'll pay you some more. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is plenty. Thank you. So, uh, from from uh, that. 
through the years, uh, serving, uh, really having the privilege to serve churches. Uh, I've learned that uh, you know church folks are, are are people. They're regular people. They can disappoint you. And we them, or I, I'm speaking yes. for myself yes. here. Yes, yeah. we're not perfect, yeah. and they're not perfect, and we serve a perfect God. Mm-hmm. But but in the process of this doing church stuff, it, it can be it can be very 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 difficult for all involved mm-hmm. because it's people. So I, I have learned. I hope I have learned uh, by looking back on fantastic church experiences and unbelievably painful church experiences um, that um, have, I I don't want to say scarred me, but they certainly have tempered me. So. The, the, the challenges, but you, but it is incredibly important to remember that it's that it's about serving the Lord in a local church. We serve people, yes, but the Lord will never forsake us. He will never uh, uh, leave us, abandon us. Mm-hmm. He's there. You know that uh, that. Uh, poem or song or whatever it is about footprints in the sand yeah footprints in the sand where the the guy goes to heaven and then he looks down and says look jesus here we are walking in the sand and you know there's two sets of footprints and but look at this time in my life when it was so terrible jesus only one set of footprints and then when it got over when that terrible time got over you uh there's two uh there's uh, two sets of footprints again and he goes, yeah, because during that difficult time, I was carrying you. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that's not a scripture quote. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cute little song, mm-hmm. but I would say that's a very, very true and accurate depiction of what he's been done in my life. Yeah. But I could, I could see that, Robert, the clearest when I was looking backwards on it. Yeah, not in it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read a book about it. The book's no longer in print. It was called uh, Joy That Lasts. That's funny. I was going to bring that book up because okay. you gave me a copy of that book about 20, 25 years ago. One of the top 10 books that I have read in my really? life as far as changing my attitude and the way I look at things. Really? Yes. Well, uh, it did There mean, you go. You it did more, more discipleship, there you more go. influence. That uh, if we know theologically and with our brain, if we know that we have a loving, gracious, and caring God and all hell breaks loose in your life and you look around and you think, there's a piece of you that says, where are you, God? Mm-hmm. Why would you let this happen to me? Mm-hmm. Well, after after the long years, we can look back and say, he was there the whole time. So why not go ahead, when, it's, when they're going to get stuff now, why not go ahead and thank him for being there mm-hmm. in the middle of it? Yeah. Why don't we ride in that peace and that grace and that love while... While we're in the storm now, why not go just go ahead and love him? That takes a lot of spiritual maturity mm-hmm. because my flesh has a tendency to bow up and say, woe is me, and why am I being treated so poorly, or why is this all this stuff happening to me? And, yeah. you know, rather than say, but because 
there's another passage of scripture that I have learned that is so true. It's, uh, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. I think it's 1 Corinthians. Where it says that God comforts us. And he wants us to comfort other people with the comfort that he's given to us. Mm -hmm. In other words, one of the reasons he allows us to go through difficult times is to help other people who are going through difficult times. He never wastes a hurt. Oh, that's a good word. That's true. He never wastes a hurt. So what has happened in my life is because I got fired from a job one time, cold turkey, wasn't my fault, because got got walked in, boom, I'm done. Walked out, didn't have a job. I have been sympathetic and can speak to men who lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. Because that is, as you know, that is, that's a gut punch. I don't care if you deserved it. It's still a gut punch to lose your job. It it, it strikes us in the psyche or something. Mm -hmm. So that's made me tender. And um, it's made me tender uh, when people go through very, when ministers go through, well, I would say ministers, yes, but uh, the the under ministers, not the senior pastors, Mm -hmm. the staff guys, uh, they hurt in a different way. Because a lot of times, well, sometimes their hurt radiates from the pastor, right? In some way, yeah. you know, either the pastor isn't supportive or he's part of the problem or something. Anyway, it, it's, it's people, people. Okay, so we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's you're exactly right. So the Lord has opened uh, gracious doors of opportunity for me to minister to my my peers mm-hmm. in life who are hurting. They're hurting. They'll hear my story and they'll remember it. And five years from then, when they're hitting it, they'll. I know somebody's walked down this path. Let me call Bob and and let's talk. And uh, that's happening now. I mean, there there's some guys in in uh, Tennessee. There's two in particular. I'm, I'm having the privilege of just loving on while they're going through some very difficult days in their church. And I've said this before, and you may you might agree with me. There's really no hurt like church hurt. You know, you think the church should be a perfect group of people mm-hmm. and perfect group of pastors and staff, and th- that includes me. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be perfect too. But when we're not, and when actually it hurts, it just kind of seems to hurt more. Yeah. Because there's some kind of expectation that we are bigger than mm-hmm. what we're showing the yeah. world. Yeah. We're all the sum total of all our experiences, things that happened to us, things that we heard said, where we are at a particular time, and God uses all of those, those experiences, those thoughts, and it's just amazing how He can, He can, bring a harvest or, or it within us and within other people from where we've been. I want to ask you, uh, are, have there been moments in your journey? What were those key moments in your journey that maybe changed or shaped your perspective? Uh, I mentioned some. Uh, one was when I got cold turkey fired gotcha. from a secular job. Mm-hmm. And my, we had just bought our first house, and my wife was due any second. And I Good timing. In. Oh, impeccable timing. And I walked in, and the boss said, you're done. Yeah. I'm like, how do I go home and tell my 
wife that I don't have a job. How does that happen? I'd had a job since I was eight years old. I'd never been fired in my life. Mm -hmm. And here I was getting ready to be fired as an adult. I didn't know how to process that. And uh, uh, that was a life-changing moment for me. one of the biggies mm-hmm. for me. Of course, in all honesty, this sounds kind of preachy, but my conversion mm-hmm. was a life changing that, that wrestling with God on a December night in the apartment by myself was a life-changing event for me. Uh, I stopped, I, I began a, the process of dying to self and living for God. Yeah. The process. Yes, not over is. yet. No, it's not. <laughs> I tell the guys at the mission, it's, it's a blood transfusion that begins the moment that you, you know, that perfect blood hits our sinful life, but it's not going to be done. That, that transfusion is not complete until we draw our last breath yeah. or we're caught up in the air. Probably an, uh, another one that I would share. Um, well, there, I'll give you two more. Uh, one was uh, in uh, the nineteen eighty something. I was kidnapped and uh, held at gunpoint from Birmingham to Atlanta, and he told me he would kill me and etc. So um, I went through a about a three hour ordeal where I, where I had no reason to believe I would be alive at the end. Mm-hmm. So. I've talked about that a lot over the years. What would you do today if you knew you had three hours to live? What would go through your mind? What would you start thinking about? Now you're in a room by yourself. You mm-hmm. can't go do anything. You can't call anybody. You know, I was in a cab of a truck with a guy sitting beside me with a gun on me, and, they, and they, there were no cell phones, and he wouldn't let me stop. And so, at three hours, me and the Lord and this guy, and. I, I, obviously, I made it out, and he didn't shoot me. And uh, but I had—I knew I was going to die. Right. So that was a life-changing event. I discovered that I was—I was really ready to die. I had confidence in my salvation. I was not ready for the pain of the bullet. That was my fear. What's it going to feel like? Yeah. Or what if he blows the front half of my brain off, and I'm sitting here for 12 hours dying or something? You know. Yeah. That was what I was afraid of. Not not death itself and that was affirming I mean that was a good thing for me another life changing event for me was when my 30 year old daughter who was not married came home and told us she was pregnant that was a life changing event for me Um, obviously a life changing event for her right but uh, it was a life changing event for us and now I have a 4 year old grandson and um, uh, we, we had just never walked a road like that before in my family you know I didn't we didn't have any out of wedlock pregnancies when I was growing up and any of my family and any of Vicky's family and uh, just that was a curveball yeah. at 30 years old for her to tell us she was pregnant now, we didn't didn't throw her out of the house or, or anything and we walked right alongside her and have tried to encourage her as much as we can yeah. But that was a life changer for us, obviously for her. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Jim Dennison. Do you listen to uh, Dennison Forum? Mm-hmm. Culture? Excellent communicator. Um, he said, or he says, says it often, what God allows, he redeems. I like what that. God allows, he redeems. And obviously, he allows us our free will. 
and he, you know, what he allows us to to do, or the decisions we made, or the decisions we have made unto us, he redeems. And that's how he states it: what God allows, he redeems. Or he'll sometimes say, he redeems all he allows. To flesh that out a little bit, I've added a little bit more to it. Uh, what God allows, He redeems. If what He has allowed is surrendered to Him to redeem. Well, and I was going to ask you that. I said, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how theological you want to get in the broadcast, mm-hmm. but I know people who've had who've had difficult things happen to them, mm-hmm. and they got bitter. Yeah, they didn't get better. Yeah. Uh, so you, I think you kind of answered my theological question yeah. by adding that caveat there yeah. at the end. Um, if we allow God to 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 use those things, mm-hmm. He He will use them as redemptive. Uh, but we, I think, we have to have a willing heart to allow it. Otherwise, uh, you know them, I know them. Mm-hmm. There are tons of people out there that are bitter because right. of things that have happened to them in life, and they have not been redemptive. Yeah, they have been they have uh, bitter or better. And where's the choice? I really do think the choice is in us. Yeah. It's that and, moment of surrender. And surrender. Yeah. I, I like that word. If we'll hand it to the Lord and say, I don't know what this is, but if you're God, you've allowed it, I'm going to trust you to do something, you know, do the lemonade with this lemon, yeah. Lord. I, I, it sounds kind of cheesy, but uh, I don't know another example. You yeah. know, uh, it's a lemon and make some lemonade. And I know people, and you do too, my friend, that have been through horrendous things. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Bondage and rape Mm -hmm. uh, of a sweet mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I know people that have been murdered. I know people uh, who have committed suicide and left behind family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know people who have been ill for a couple of weeks and died. Nobody knew it. Bing. I know people that have been ill and died a few years later mm-hmm. or 10 years later. That's a dear sweet lady over in uh, North Carolina. Her husband had Alzheimer's for, I don't know, like 12 years. It was the slowest process. Oh my goodness. And it was excruciatingly painful for her. I have another friend in Montgomery, Alabama. They discovered their dad had Alzheimer's, and he was he was completely he didn't couldn't remember how to swallow. He was dead in the ear. So you know, you look at all these things mm-hmm. and say everybody's got stuff in their life. Yeah. Every single person's got stuff in their life. Some people, it appears, they have more stuff than others. Yeah. Uh, but is it? You know, it, it can be it can be redemptive. God can redeem it. Right. And and I hate to use the word use, but he can use it mm-hmm. in ways to edify you and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, because life's hard. As long as we're as long as we're on terra firma, yeah. as long as we're on the dirt uh, in this lifespan, mm-hmm. it's gonna be hard. I studied Job during the two darkest years of my life. Mm. My takeaway, I was reading it verse by verse, not not looking at commentaries, just you know, throwing myself into those words. And my takeaway after those 42 chapters, 30-something chapters, Job's asking why. Natural question, why? God shows up and he tells Job, 
you're asking the wrong question. The question's not why, the question is who. Who I am. And he starts asking, were you there when yeah. I built, you know. Isn't and that I, crazy? I love it. And, you know, but the, que- the, the ultimate who is God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God, and you trust that, you surrender to that. Uh, it's uh, That is a big thing, though. Uh, I think we have a tendency to want to make God in our image. Mm-hmm. We want to make God look like we would like him to look. Mm-hmm. And it comes out in our language in things like, well, if God was a loving God, then, okay, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Well, so whose definition of love are we going with? Exactly. We're going with your definition of love. We're not going with God's definition of love. Because God has a love that I don't understand. I honestly do not understand the love of God. There's a song that talks about the love of God is broader than the, you know, and, and if I could with ink, could paint the sky, you know, mm-hmm. the, the name of that song is The Love of God. It's an old song. It's beautiful, poetic. But God, see, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, his son died for us. Now, I don't get that. I do not. I, I got a son, Robert, and if you were my enemy, I would not ask my son to kill himself for you. Yes. I mean, but you're my friend. I still don't think I would ask my son to offer himself in your stead. Do you understand what I'm saying? It blows your mind. It blows my yeah. mind when the scripture says that while I was, you know, Romans called me, calls me an enemy. Um, while I was still dead in my trespasses and sin, the God of the universe saw fit to send his son to walk a perfect life and to be the perfect sacrifice for all those who would believe in advance. Oh my, I don't know. No, you start asking me to define love and and this God thing, this love that God does, it's bigger than me. Yeah, you start talking theology and doctrine and, and a lot of times people want to engage in those conversations so they can get it defined and put in a neat little box and it will not fit in the box. I don't care how, how, uh, what kind of intellect the person yeah. has it, 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 because yeah, it keeps overflowing the box. Yeah. It's like you try to put in a box, it's already creating a, a dozen, a hundred doors out of that box. You're right. Mind boggling. You're right. Yeah. Are you in late summer or early fall? Your life, your journey. Oh my goodness! Uh, at the convention, so that we're we're here at the Southern Baptist Convention together in Birmingham during this uh, season of in June, and my uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has a uh, a branch of their ministry to employees of Southern Baptist churches that allows us to invest through them into retirement. And that vehicle is called Guidestone. Mm-hmm. So, kind of similar to Gallstone. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends I, on how just, much money you got I in there. I just thought of that. <laughs> Gallstone. <laughs> so, I sat down with one of the representatives today uh-huh. to look at my uh, portfolio, if you will, my diversified portfolio, and what you know what they thought about it, and am I too risky? And because they say, you know, the older you get, the less.
risk you need to take with your with your retirement mm -hmm. funds. And um, so I sat there today, and the reason I sat there, Robert, was because I'm 61. And I, how much longer am I going to be putting into retirement before I start drawing from retirement? I don't know the answer to that. As a matter of fact, he asked me, he said, when do you plan on retiring? I said, 90? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And what is retirement? Does that mean full-time? You know, I will, you know, I'll pick up some odd jobs or be a bivocational staff person at 70? I, I, I don't know those things. And I found myself, if uh, you'd ask that question, uh, I, 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 I feel myself more on the fall side. But I don't want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that way. Because in reality, I can't, I can't physically, I mean, I've got a hand brace on right now because my hand hurts. I don't know why it hurts. It just hurts. Physically, I don't know what my capabilities are going to be mm -hmm. at 70. I don't know. And I'm 61, so that's eight years away. And at 61, eight years seems like nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be here, you know. So, uh, at 65, our church has a, in its bylaws, it's illegal and we won't, we won't honor it, but it has in its bylaws that you can't be an employee at 67. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think a long time ago they wanted to get rid of somebody, so they wrote that in the bylaws. Either that or maybe they were associated with another denomination, because I know another denomination that requires their ministers to be gone at 72. Really? Retire at 72. I'm not, I'm not sure that's terribly legal. But mm, I, I, know, I know it's not biblical. Uh, well, that's true. That's true. Because <laughs> retirement's not a biblical concept. It, it, well, that's true. It's uh, not. Jubilee is. At age 50, we should have all gone on a year sabbatical, and Jubilee is biblical. I had a pastor challenge me on the Jubilee thing. He said, the, the year of Jubilee was in the scripture, but when did they take it? He says they never took a year of Jubilee. It's not recorded that they took one. But they were, it was, you know, it was in there. Well, they should have. <laughs> what was it? Take but, a year off after fifty? Or yeah, something? you take the whole year. Do you let the ground rest and, and uh, whole year? Yeah, whole year. And if you and if you bought slaves, they were free. They were returned. Yeah, they were free. Yeah, everything was restored. The books were balanced. We're back to square one. That sounds incredibly redemptive to me because there's a lot of things that get on the books that should never be on there in the first place. Are you going to ask me a redemption question? Because uh, I have a redemption comment. Well, okay. I was, the last question I was going to ask you is what is the one question you wish someone would ask you about yourself? So there you go. Well, I wouldn't say about myself, but I would say, you know, redemption is uh, a word you use in your in this blog mm -hmm. and in, in your life. And you, you've you hinted to it. Uh, I, I think... I think we don't understand that word, um, but you're old enough. When I was growing up, grocery stores, you know where I'm going, right? I know where you're going. Grocery stores, when you bought $25 worth of groceries at a grocery store, they had this little wheel up here, and the lady would put her finger in the wheel, and she would turn it 20, then she would turn it 5, and out of the bottom of this thing would come these stamps, uh -huh. and they were green. Some were green, some were yellow. That's true. Yeah, two But cards. they were called, green we call stamps. them green stamps. Mm -hmm. So you would have these stamps, and you would have blank books, stamp mm -hmm. books. So you would go home, and you, that's right, the kids would lick the stamps and put them in the books. So you would have these books of stamps, okay? 
So they didn't, I mean, you couldn't spend them. I mean, they weren't money, but they were stamps. Mm -hmm. But what you could do, the only thing you could do with those stamps, they were a perk for shopping at the store. You could go to a Green Stamps Redemption Store. That's what they were called. Because you would redeem uh, products on a shelf. could be a blender or a pair of scissors or, I guess, bigger if you had tons of stamps. Mm -hmm. You could redeem the item that was in there with that the stamps. You redeemed them. You bought them. They were in the store, and now they were redeemed. They, they went from being that owner to this owner. Mm -hmm. And the whole concept of redemption is a difficult concept, I think, in this world because, you know, what 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 in our world do we redeem? I mean, we don't hear that word. You hear it in movies. You hear it in stories sometimes. Maybe. But in, in, in true fact, the Lord redeems His children. He redeems them. They, they are what the Bible calls dead and trespasses and sin. They are not God's children. <laughs> and then at, because of nothing I did, right. he, he has seen fit to fill the green stamp book up mm -hmm. and cash it in. And the way he did that was he, he, his son willingly left heaven, was perfect, lived a perfect life, and willingly gave his life to redeem as the redemption book, as the coupon, to redeem me. He paid the price. He was the only one that could do it. Mm -hmm. And it's the only way it can happen. You know, there's, I, I, would, I, I think there's a piece of me that would like to say there's many ways to God, but I don't think the book teaches that. Not at all. The, the way is through his son Jesus. His son Jesus paid the only price that can be paid to redeem me from me. Yeah. And uh, I love the concept of, of redemption. Uh, I hope that your listeners and I hope uh, that is a word in our culture that we can communicate well because because if you understand the concept, it it very clearly describes the gospel. Yeah, that we have been we have been redeemed, which means we're not our own. Mm -hmm. We've been bought with a price. I'm not mine anymore. I'm not an independent contractor. Yeah. It's not me against the world. It's it's. I'm now owned by God because He paid the price for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm His. So am I going to be rebellious in His or am I going to be obedient in His? What does He want? He wants me to be obedient. Yeah. Well, I learned something this week about our podcast. The program I use to record the podcast has a one-hour time limit. Friendship conversations don't. So the recording cut off within seconds after Bob made that statement, he wants me to be obedient. But hey, what better place to end a podcast? He wants me to be obedient. Jesus wants me to be obedient. If you have surrendered your life to follow Jesus, you are called to do what Bob and I have been talking about. 
you're called to make disciples too. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. He wants us to be obedient. I hope that this podcast has been and continues to be a blessing to you and encouragement to you. And if you've not done so, I want to encourage you to do a few things. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever device you're listening today. And then I want to encourage you to share this podcast with others. We need to get the word out. Word of mouth is what's going to do it. Tell other people about the podcast. You'll never know how God will use something said in one of these conversations in somebody's life. So pass it on. And then go back and listen to the episodes you've missed. We've had some great episodes these past few weeks at the heart of the time, a heart of vacation time. A lot of people are out and about. So if you've missed a few episodes, go back and catch up. And then be ready next Monday morning to hear these words again. Party of redemption. Your table is now available. We'll see you next week.